Welcome back to Spiritual Directors Talking About Stuff. Today, Christopher and I had an amazing conversation with acclaimed author, Brian McLaren. It really was just so rich and he is so, so wise. And I just really appreciated so much of what he had to say. Christopher, tell us a little bit about what your takeaways were. Well, we were talking to Brian about his, um, his book called, Do I Stay Christian? And, and so, you know, this book, it's, I think it's a, a, for a lot of people who are, are asking that question right now, including me. And um, I think my takeaway is that he, he makes it clear and kind of gives us the freedom to answer that question however we feel is best for us right now. And he gives lots of good reasons why you might say, no, I don't want to stay Christian. And lots of good reasons why you would say yes. And so um, you make that decision for yourself and whatever decision you make is right. But, Mm -hmm. and not just, but, but, and uh, after you make that decision, whichever way you decide to go, I think what's the most important thing is how do you then live your life as a human being? And how do you show love to um, to the earth and to your neighbors and to yourself, um, regardless of, you know, like I said, however you decide to answer that question. What about you? What's your takeaway? Um, I really loved that we talked about how would you describe your, your religion if you didn't use the word Christian or Jewish or Muslim um, or any specific religion, but just how would you describe it to somebody that asked what you believe? I thought that was such a a rich discussion there, just even from the idea of kind of going back to that, do I stay Christian or is there a new way that I understand how I am in this world? And, um, and I think that's a really important question for every single person to wrestle with. Like what, how do I understand my connection to, to God and the world and other people and the earth and all of that? Well, when I wasn't totally fangirling on Brian McLaren, um, I really loved our conversation, kind of what you said, Christopher, about, you know, answering that question for yourself. You know, how do you understand how you are in this world and what you believe? And, and for me personally, the, the more I lean into the fact that I'm deeply loved by God, the more it kind of trickles from that head knowledge into my heart. And then from there, it flows out through my hands, which is something we talk about in my small group. That heart piece is a really important aspect of how we, of why we are, the way we are in the world. And uh, I love that Brian said uh, that there's kind of a new, uh, potentially a new generation of, of humanity and what that looks like. And um, that's, that's on the horizon. And that's really exciting to me that the more that we live loved the, the more that could catch fire, you know, and, mm-hmm. um, and that's, that's just really, really exciting to me. Yeah. And in the book, he, he talks about, um, if you decide to stay Christian, you, you have the freedom to redefine what that means for you going forward. It doesn't have to look like mm-hmm. the kind of Christianity that you may have grown up with or used to be. And, um, you can redefine it and, um, and that's, that's okay because, you know, as we talk about in, in the episode, things change, you know, our, our whole world is evolving mm-hmm. and so must our definition and view of what 
God is and our faith. So, well, I I really, really enjoyed that conversation. Um, Mm -hmm. It does makes me want to go back and read all of his books. I've I've read two others that I think that I can remember and, uh, but they're so good. So the book is called, Do I Stay Christian? A Guide for the Doubters, the Disappointed, and the Disillusioned. And it's out today, May 24th. And I hope you go get yourself a copy. Today we have on our podcast, Brian McLaren. Uh, Brian is a former college English teacher and who was a pastor for 24 years. Now he's an author, an activist, a public theologian, and a frequent guest lecturer for gatherings in the U.S. and internationally. His work has been covered in countless national media outlets. He's the author of more than 15 books, including Faith After Doubt and A New Kind of Christian. He's a faculty member at the Living School at Father Richard Ward's Center for Action and Contemplation. I'm so glad to have you with us today, Brian. Thanks for inviting me, uh, Christopher. Great to be with you and, and Maggie, too. Great. Well, today um, we wanted to have you on to talk about your uh, upcoming book, which I, I'm assuming will, will be out as soon as this podcast is, is, um, is published, um, right around that same time period, um, called Do I Stay Christian? A Guide for the Doubters, the Disappointed, and the Disillusioned. So, Brian, would you first start out by giving us a brief explanation of what the book is about and what your purpose was in writing this book. Sure, uh, Christopher. Um, You know, I I was a pastor for 24 years, and really the church that I served was largely people who had maybe been brought up with a very peripheral church background and and, uh, dropped out, and then they were kind of coming back to faith of some sort, or... um, or people who were in, but were barely in and were thinking about leaving. So all of my really adult life, uh, that's been kind of the, the space where I have uh, engaged with people. And that makes sense because the truth is that's how I felt as well. I, from the time I was a teenager, I just thought, I'm not sure there's a place for me here. I, I grew up in a very, very conservative uh, setting where you were not allowed to believe in evolution. And I remember thinking, okay, you know, four or five years, I'm out of here <laughs> and I'll be on my own and I won't need to, uh, to live with these kinds of, uh, I don't know, denials, what seemed to me to be denials of reality. Um, but in the last, uh, really the last five or seven years, it just feels like there's been a kind of a, a super escalation and an acceleration of the number of people who are going out in public and saying, I, this isn't working for me anymore. And so now the word deconstruction, which was a kind of arcane philosophical word when I first started writing 20 years ago, now everybody's using it. Sometimes everybody, uh, you know, using it to mean very different things. But uh, so what I wanted to do in this book is I, I didn't want to write a book to try to convince people to stay Christian. Um, I know that many people are not going to stay Christian and they have good reasons not to. Um, and nor did I want to write a book to tell people, yeah, just go ahead and leave. I wanted to help people think through this question as carefully as they could. And that's why I structured the book with part one being yes, part two being no, and part three being 
I'm sorry, part one being no, part two being yes, and part three being how. Um, the, the reasons a person would say no to do I stay Christian? Uh, yes. And then what, whatever you say, yes or no, how am I going to live my life? And uh, that's how I, I uh, ended the book. Yeah, um, I, I read the copy that I, I received. And um, I, t- I tell you what, all of, all of your reasons in part one are very compelling. And all of your reasons in part two are very compelling. And, um, you know, at the end, at the end of reading those two sections, I, I, I thought to myself, this is, this is a really serious question that I have to wrestle with now. And, and your part three is also is very helpful in helping us wrestle through those, um, that question and, and all the different ramifications of whichever way you decide to go. Um, yeah. And so, you know, I, I really appreciate that. I think it's the book that a lot of people need right now. Well, can I tell you first, that means a lot to me to hear you say that, Christopher, and you are literally the third person I've talked to who has read the books. So that's very encouraging to hear. (laughs) Well, good. We make the road by walking that you wrote, I think seven or eight years ago, really was impactful for me way back when, when I was starting my deconstruction journey. And um, so I'm just really excited that this conversation is more normalized now of Mm. the, you know, just why people are even considering this, that they may have never Mm. been considering what, how their faith applies to them and what that looks like. And, um, and, and why, what's the why behind why we engage in this faith tradition don't, or we search for something else. And, um, but what do you think is, like, why do you think this has become such um, a a hot topic right now? This deconstruction and people leaving the church. Like, what what is it that compelled you to? Yeah. To yeah. Well, it, it's a great question, Maggie. I, and I think it depends on which sector of Christianity we're talking about. So, for example, among Roman Catholics, <clears throat> we've had over twenty years now of major exposés of mm-hmm. pedophilia scandals and other. Uh, mm-hmm. abuse scandals. And, you know, it's eventually those things are going to uh, have an effect on people. And, and one country after another announces their investigations. And then we realize this wasn't just a, a one-off problem in Boston, but it's coming up in country after country. Mm-hmm. Um, among white evangelicals, that's my own background. Uh, I think the support for Donald Trump in 2016 really was a watershed for an awful lot of younger people. They just felt this seemed to be a betrayal of everything their leaders had taught them. And it called into question uh, all the trust and confidence they had in leaders that they trusted maybe up till that point. And, And it wasn't only the overt support for someone who seemed so antithetical to Christian values and character, but maybe even more uh, upsetting and disillusioning was the silence of an awful lot of people. In other words, the sense that people weren't willing to speak up because they were afraid. And so they would just mm-hmm. uh, sit out really important discussions. I think um, when I'm talking to uh, black Christians and uh, Latino, Latina Christians, very often what I hear from them is patriarchy. Um, the sense that men run the show and that, and, you know, intelligent professional women who get respect in every other area of their life, they come to church and feel that that, that respect isn't there. So I think there are a whole range of, of reasons. Yeah. Brian, what would you say to someone who 
looks at your book and sees the title and wonders if this book is even worth reading. Um, I know you, you, you do kind of address that in your book, you know, saying you probably don't even want to read part one if you're, uh, yeah. you know, if you're really into Christianity, but what would you say to them? Sure. So if, if you are happily a Christian and you have no second thoughts, and there are millions and millions of people in that category, whether they're Roman Catholic or reformed or charismatic or evangelical or Eastern Orthodox, whatever, there are so many people who it, it's working for them and they're happy and they don't have doubts and they don't have questions. Uh, but here, and, and so they might say, yeah, this book isn't really for me. And yeah, it's, the world won't end if they don't read it for sure. But I'll bet that just about all of them have a son or a daughter or a cousin or a best friend at work or the person who used to be the worship leader or youth leader at their church who has since uh, is either now struggling or has actually already left Christian faith. And, and for those folks, if they want to understand why this is happening, I think this book could really help them. Um, and then for folks who have already left and they're done with this thing. Here's what a lot of people find. You can leave Christianity, but Christianity doesn't leave you <laughs> in the sense that there are, that if you were raised in Christian faith, it's part of who you are. And not only that, the culture has, has if you live in the United States or many other places in the world, the culture has been so shaped by Christianity and other Christians are out there continuing to do things that, cause harm. And just because you leave the faith, the, the religion doesn't mean that their harm doesn't extend to you. So I, I think there are reasons for people on both sides to say this could be a helpful book. And then of course, people in the middle who feel that uh, they wake up day after day, and this is one of the most urgent questions in their lives, obviously for them, that the, this, I, I hope the book can be helpful. Um, and uh, and the truth is there are more people in, there are a lot of people in all three of those categories uh, who care about their faith. So they care if people are leaving or they care if, if people in the name of Christianity are doing harm. And uh, I, I hope the book will be helpful for all those categories. I was speaking to my, my own spiritual director about, about it a couple of days ago. Uh, we had our meeting and, because, you know, this is a question that she knows that I've been wrestling with for a long time. And, and so, you know, having read your book, I, I, I said, it's, it's now, you know, it's, it's the question that I'm going to have to answer once and for all. And, mm. um, but, you know, as you said, I mean, Christianity mm. is the air we breathe here in this country, at least in the United States, as you said, and it's, it's, it permeates every part of our culture. Um, having grown up in the church personally, I know the lingo. I know the customs and tra the traditions and the stories and yes. everything. And that's just, it is part of me. And leaving that would be mm. difficult, if not impossible yeah. to do. I'm, I'm glad you say that, Christopher. Difficult, uh, if not impossible. And I think that goes for people who stay and people who leave. There are a lot of people who stay because all their relatives are Christian and they'd be mm. disowned from their family, you know, and, uh, and to tell them they should leave, uh, it, it's a lot easier for someone on the outside to, mm -hmm. to tell them that and, and vice versa. And it strikes me that you as a spiritual director would really understand this because so much a part of your training and your work um, is to listen to people and try to help them listen to themselves and see what's happening deep within their own spirit. And, uh, and so I suspect that 
we, we're going to see two things happen simultaneously. And, and it would be easy to only look at one and ignore the other. But I think we're going to see sectors of the Christian faith become more dangerous in the coming decades, mm. more hateful, more in denial about science, more willing to believe conspiracy theories uh, promoted by authoritarians. I think that's inevitable. That's going to happen. That uh, horse has left the barn, as they say. But I think at the same time, and really, uh, I think the whole movement that includes spiritual direction is uh, that we're going to see more beautiful, honest, authentic forms of Christianity emerge and, uh, and be embodied by, uh, by people. So I think we'll see both of those things going forward. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you saying that about, about spiritual directors. Um, it's, it's a ministry that both Maggie and I both are, feel really uh, passionate about and, and know that, um, you know, a lot of people are seeking out something more, something deeper and yes. spiritual direction is a great way to, to explore that and, uh, you know, to process. Yeah. I you know, love it, Brian it, that you, oh, sorry, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say um, the book that I wrote right before this, and I really wrote these two together, it was called Faith After Doubt. And in many ways, as I wrote the book, mm -hmm. I felt like I'm sort of giving uh, quasi-spiritual direction via a book here. <laughs> I'm helping people to, uh, to understand that, that all of us are in process. And that's what spiritual direction, it seems to me, does so well, is it helps people say, mm -hmm. you aren't today you're not where you were a year ago and that's okay that's as it should be and a year from now you'll be in a different place too and part of the to, to be in the presence of a human being who will let you be honest about everything your questions your doubts your hopes uh your anxieties um your struggles to to be in the presence of someone who lets you do that without judgment mm -hmm. is an incredible gift and uh, that's one of the things uh, that, that we need so much. And, and I have a feeling it's one of the reasons that podcasts and books help people because it allows a person to listen and have their own thoughts and uh, without anybody jumping on them and, and judging them. Gosh, that judgment that, you know, if you don't believe the right way, if you don't yes. believe the same as me is makes me want to like just stop using the word Christian altogether. Yes. Yes. You know, I kind of share with you, Maggie, I was in a really, uh, had a, a, one of those conversations you just will always remember. I was in a long bus ride uh, uh, on my way to a retreat. Uh, it was a multi-faith retreat and sitting next to me on the bus was a rabbi. And, uh, and she and I talked for however many hours we were on this bus. And she said to me, Brian, can I tell you something I don't get about Christianity? I said, yeah. She said, why are you guys so obsessed with beliefs? Hmm. She said, nobody ever asks me what I believe if I'm a Jew. They don't assume they know what my beliefs are. Um, you know, to be a Jew isn't hmm. dependent on beliefs. And, and I remember thinking to myself, hmm. that's a more mature religion than the Christian religion uh, in many of its forms, because we are still obsessed with beliefs. And, uh, and Protestants often think they're so superior to the Catholics who maybe 500 years ago were obsessed with authority figures and uh, rituals. Uh, 
But uh, my goodness sakes, we just substituted mm -hmm. one kind of obsession with another. And there are other ways to define what it means to be a Christian other than do you adhere to a list of beliefs? And uh, more and more of us are, are yeah. saying that out loud. And I, I, hope, it, I hope it catches on. Um, there's a question that I like to ask people that are kind of going through this, like, I want to be authentically me and, and still love Jesus, you know, like, yeah. what does that look like? And, and they don't want to be pulled in with Christians because of what they, how they experience other Christians and, and reputation. Cause Christians, let's just be real. Don't have the best reputation. <laughs> for a reason. Yeah. Um, and cause like you said, you know, hateful, judgmental, all that they can be. Um, and, uh, one question I like to ask is if you, uh, like if somebody asked you, what is your like system of beliefs, system of faith, how would you, what would you say? Like, how would you describe that? And it, without using the word Christian, like if that's what you're trying to not be associated with and the answers are really beautiful. And I think that's a great way to kind of get that authentic understanding or for yourself of what they're like. Oh my goodness. As soon as you say that, it makes me want to uh, really ask as many people that question and record their, their responses, mm -hmm. because I feel that that question would get people having to ask themselves, what do I actually care about? What matters to me? What is the mm -hmm. driving principle in my life? And what a great question. You know, it reminds me of an experience some years ago. I was speaking at, uh, I can't remember, I think it was a Lutheran church. And uh, there was a, a woman, a gifted musician who was there as well. And we were having a discussion and all of these Lutherans behind closed doors were saying, uh, you know, I don't believe this and I'm not so sure about this and I don't believe this. And the musician uh said, Hey, Brian, I have an idea. And I said, sure. What's up? So she came up and she said, for the next five or 10 minutes, we're going to create a song. And in this song, we're going to sing what we do believe. And so what she did is she starts playing some chords and then just uh, had a little melody, you know, and I think the words were this, we believe. And so she would just say this, and then she would invite people to come up to the mic and they would say, and somebody would come up and say, you know, things that are deeply Christian, but they're just not the kind of things that people ask about. Like, I really believe in loving my neighbor as myself. And then we would all sing, this we believe. And then uh, somebody else, or I think it was this I believe. And then somebody else would come up and say, I believe we should care for the earth because the earth is sacred. And we would all sing. And I remember at the end of that 10 or 15 minutes, I felt I'd been on really holy ground because now people were looking inside mm. themselves and saying exactly what you just said. How would I describe it from my own heart? Yeah, that's really beautiful. Mm. Wow. That would, I would have loved to have been a part of that. Yeah. Listen in on that. <laughs> so follow-up question, um, Brian, how would you describe your, your, your religion? if you didn't use the word Christian? Yeah. Well, <clears throat> I think it's honest for me to you. If I'm going to use the word Christian, it's honest for me to say, I come from a Christian background. That's just unavoidable. Um, and 
then I probably would say that I try to orient my life around loving God, loving my neighbor, loving the earth, and loving myself, all as one integrated pa- package. And mm-hmm. I might say that I become disillusioned at, with and disappointed in religious communities that focus on beliefs and focus on rituals and focus on taboos. Uh, and I become more and more attracted mm-hmm. to uh, faith communities that, uh, that focus on humility, that focus on character, that focus on uh, what we're becoming, not just what we say we believe in. So that would be the kind of thing I, I think I would talk about. And I, if anybody asked, I would tell them that really I'm, I'm 66 years old this year. Uh, I would tell them that I am more, uh, what's the word, intrigued and, and I, I feel more in awe about Jesus than I, I ever have in my life. That hasn't decreased through the years. That's mm-hmm. increased. But in some ways, I, I'm probably intrigued uh, with things that a lot of other people just sort of passed over. Uh, and uh, yeah, mm-hmm. so that would be a start. I love that. Chris, do you want to answer that question? I think I have, I have, um, I've learned a lot from um, uh, Karen Armstrong and in, in her writings about um, all the world religions and how they were all just kind of, you know, they were all, they all came out within the cultural and, and, um, and geographic places that they um, were in. And, but they all seem to come out with the same uh, general um important thing which is that you know love your neighbor as yourself and you know do um do not do to another what is um you know what you don't want done to yourself which we have called the golden rule and and jesus stated it and um you know but it came before jesus and um i think that you know that would be the the rule that i try to try to live by now some days better than others and um and then everything I think <clears throat> grows out of that, you know, what, it, what you do every day and how you treat someone, how you treat the earth, how you treat um, even your own self, um, it comes out of that. Uh, Brian, if, if someone um, is kind of on the fence, um, what value do you see that Christianity brings that is not found in other faith traditions or um, even just humanism, you know, generically? Um, in other words, what makes Christianity unique and compelling? Well, I, I think each religion is unique and each religion is compelling to many people. So uh, I, don't, I, I, I mean, I, I'm, I just would be dishonest if I, if I didn't say that. Uh, <clears throat> I, I have a friend uh, who grew up Jewish and she's actually a scholar of uh, a number of Christian uh, uh, mystics. And she said, I've never encountered a religion de- on a deep level that I didn't fall in love with. Uh, and, uh, mm-hmm. but if so, the way I, I would, I would probably not, I don't think Jesus would want anything associated with him in his life to be framed in a way like, here's why I'm better than you. Mm-hmm. Um, and here's why my way is better than your, yours, because his whole mm-hmm. way of winning confidence was not by trying to shame and exclude and be superior. His whole way was 
was to serve and to care and to understand and meet people where they were. So, um, but what I would probably do then is I would rephrase the question to say, what do I especially find compelling and beautiful uh, in the Christian faith? And, and, uh, and in a way, I feel like as the way I hold Christian faith is that I say Jesus was a Jew. Jesus was not a Christian. Christianity developed later. And so I try to understand Jesus through his history as a Jew and his historical setting as uh, what we today might say a brown Palestinian Jew under Roman oppression and domination. And, and when I put him back in that context, I just feel the issues that he was facing in his day are so similar to the issues we face in our day and his nonviolent and and, and profoundly inclusive vision uh, to me is, is what's beautiful and compelling. Um, And, and the truth is there are many Christians who do not hold that, that view that I associate with Jesus. And, there are many Muslims or Jews or Buddhists who do hold that same value. So this is, again, where dividing people up by the silos of religion maybe sometimes distracts us from the real question of how people are living. That's what I think Jesus was actually cared about. There's a place in the Gospels where he says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do what I say? As if to say, I'm not really interested in all your talk about me or all your terminology. What I'm really interested in is, is how you love. And Paul says something very similar in the New Testament. He says, I don't care if you speak in tongues of men and angels. I don't care if you do this or that. If you don't have love, you know, you're, you're not off square one yet. So let's focus on love. And uh, uh, yeah, so I, I hope that's, a, uh, that's an honest response to your question, Christopher. Yeah, that's, that's a, a great response. And, um, and I, I loved how you brought up you know, that Jesus was a, a brown-skinned Palestinian Jew, and he was under, he was part of the oppressed group yes. of people of his day. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, and as you say in your book, and, and this particular one and others, that, you know, we really, we, people like us who are, who are white, of the majority you know, group in this country, we need to listen to those people who are the oppressed, the Black, the Indigenous Latin mm-hmm. X uh, community, those theologians and what they have yes. to, to say about um, about our faith, because they are the ones who are oppressed, like Jesus himself was. Yes. Um, yeah. That actually, I remember when I was writing the book, when I wrote a, a chapter about that, I, I it was one of the parts of the book where I felt I was getting to something that was that was really important to me, and I think should be important to others, and that is that in many ways, the forms of Christianity that people are disgusted with and that they, they just are repulsed by, uh, they're the forms of Christianity of white supremacy, associated with white supremacy. Mm-hmm. And meanwhile, Black and Latinx and Asian and, uh, uh, and uh, queer and, uh, and feminist and womanist and eco-theologians, uh, eco there's the whole group of people re-engaging with the Christian faith apart from that stream. And it would just, one of the reasons I stay Christian is because their engagement with Christian faith has so much more promise and so much more, in my mind, integrity than so much of what we inherited. And, uh, and 
I, I can't, it would, it would be very hard to walk away from such treasures. Mm, yeah. Yeah. I, I decided um, uh, in 2022 that I was done reading theology books and, um, yeah. but it, it's because I only read theology books yeah. from white, you know, Western European Protestant yeah. style theologians, mm-hmm. but there is a vast treasure trove of, of um, wisdom out there that are, that doesn't, doesn't look like those, those people, yeah. those men, that those are the people I do want to read. Well, Christopher, um, that's one of the things that I try to do in this book, and I've done in some of my other books, where I have paragraphs where I mention a lot of names, the names of those kinds of people, giving us an alternative uh, mm-hmm. approach. And uh, one of the things I hope I can do is just introduce people to some of these amazing uh, people who have what my friend Richard Rohr calls an alternative orthodoxy, or what I often call a new kind of Christianity. Um, and uh, like I think, for example, uh, almost every Christian in America has heard about Billy Graham, but not many have heard about Howard Thurman, and uh, or not enough have heard of Howard Thurman. And if I could invite people to discover a new Christian voice uh, from the 20th century, it would be Howard Thurman. What an amazing human being Mm -hmm. and what an amazing theologian and mystic and cultural commentator. Um, You know, Catholics, uh, Roman Catholics are always talking about Thomas Aquinas. I wish they could discover Hildegard of Bingen, who uh, not, not long after Thomas Aquinas when women's voices were suppressed and not taken seriously, Hildegard was such a brilliant, uh, the word that really describes her is a polymath. She was just brilliant in diverse areas and a deep theologian. Uh, uh, She was speaking and nobody could shut her up, you know, and I wish more people knew about her. So there's this whole list of people that I just hope more and more of us learn about uh, a, a new set of heroes. Uh, I'm currently, as we are recording this, I'm in, uh, at a retreat center in Tennessee doing a class intensive for spiritual direction training. And one of the sessions that we're doing later is, well, actually throughout the, throughout the program, we've been introducing different historical mentors to, these are the contributions of uh, Julian of Norwich or, um, you know, the different, uh, saints throughout you know, Francis and Benedict. And today we're actually doing um, Howard Thurman and we're introducing that to the class. And, um, and so I know, right. I was like, this is what, this is important. And I found, I was looking for some new art for my spiritual direction room. And, um, and I found this collection of art called the dancing monks. And it's a woman I found her on. Yes. And she has, she's, you know, she has, Julian and Benedict and Francis, like your typical people, but she also has St. Howard Thurman and she has Saint, uh, the saints that crossed the bridge in Selma and she has Martin Luther King Jr. And she has Maya Angelou and like modern day voices that are impacting the faith and impacting people, you know, and it doesn't have, they're not all of them are Christian. She even had uh, Gandhi and Dalai Lama on there. And I just thought that was yes. the most beautiful reminder that, that there are important voices out there that don't look like us and that there's so much we can learn from them. You know, toward the end of the book, Maggie, um, I, I shift the question from, do I stay Christian to how do I live as a human? 
And, uh, mm-hmm. uh, and one of the things that I think, uh, w- as I was writing that, that I saw more clearly than I had seen before, was how in the New Testament, uh, Paul doesn't talk a lot. He, the, the word Christian only comes up, you know, in passing as uh, probably as an epithet in the book of Acts. What Paul talks about is a new humanity or uh, what he calls a second Adam. Um, uh, and uh, mm-hmm. this idea of a new humanity, uh, when you start, when you take that seriously, what you realize is this is that problem with beliefs that we were talking about before. You can be an example of the old humanity who has Christian beliefs. <laughs> Um, or you can be an example of a new humanity that is taking seriously the heart of what Jesus and others uh, taught. And that, that true humanity, I think, is what, what we're all really seeking. And what really is a matter of, uh, it's, a, it's a matter of survival going forward, because the old humanity that was driven by violence and greed and, and domination and, and uh, fear, uh, is going to take us over the edge. And uh, uh, we, we, we're going over the edge in relation to the earth and this beautiful, precious planet. We're going over the edge in terms of violence, not just with the number of small arms weapons, but then the, num- the, the reality that has been in the news that we're all having to think about of, mm-hmm. of uh, nuclear weapons and, uh, and biological and chemical weapons. And, and, and when you realize we need a new humanity, we need one by one and a thousand by a thousand and a billion by a billion, we need people to say the way we're currently doing humanity isn't working. We, we have to lean into a new way of being human. I actually think that's what Jesus and Paul were talking about. Uh, I think it's, and, and I think it's what uh, those dancing monks and saints you were talking about, each in their own way was pointing toward. I really liked uh, in part three, you had a chapter about um, it was the title is Rewild, where you talked about how you how you have, you know, just really sensed um, God's presence and, and just really commune with God out in nature and how and that's becoming um, so important. We recently had uh, Victoria Lors on our podcast um, to talk to her about her book, uh, Church of the Wild. It was yes. so great. And um and my wife and I are actually starting a, a church of the wild here in, in Knoxville, Tennessee. Um, it's, it's very small, just our family, but it's, we're doing it and we're going out once a month out into the, yeah. um, one of our beautiful uh, areas here in East Tennessee. And we're doing it, you know, we're just, we feel like this is where it's so, there's such a bigger presence of God there than in, in any building I've ever experienced. Yeah. It's it's really it's really true. Once you see it, you can't <clears throat> you can't unsee it. Yeah. And and of course, there's deep theology in this. Whenever we refer to God as Creator, what we're saying is that God's first language is certainly not English. God's first language is certainly not Hebrew or Greek or Aramaic. God's first language is light, mm-hmm. and and life and chemistry and phys- what we call chemistry and physics and and uh, planets and galaxies and gravity and uh, muons and gluons and all of these mysterious particles. And, but, and then you start to see these things are holy and, uh, and, and they're actually, they reveal the, the nature and logic and beauty of, of the creator. 
uh, and th thank God for Victoria and others in this work and you and your family uh, exploring this. And I think this is especially important now because we are so much on the verge of pushing the earth past a tipping point that it, where it won't be able to support us anymore. And, uh, and we, we need part of that new humanity. We need a new relationship with this planet. And it's not just a matter of numbers, like which, you know, how many tons of carbon we produce or how many tons of trash. Those numbers are, are important, but I think on a deeper level, it's about a different relationship and a different way of seeing. Mm. Uh, yeah. And, you know, th this week there was uh, the week that we're recording this podcast, there was this, uh, this online conference of which you, you recorded one. Um, uh, what's the future of spirituality and um, John Dorhauer uh, on his um, part of this, he said, you know, and, and he echoed kind of like what you said in your book, how we are human, the human race, we are quickly coming to the point where, you know, we're basically designing our own destruction and, and you know, we may end up being, um, we may end our, ourselves here. And so, but he said, so what is, what is, what is religion and spirituality without the human race? I mean, what is, what is God, what's God going to be after humans are gone essentially? And, you know, I think the, the earth will, heal itself just fine without humans messing with it. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, what is God after God, after humans go? And I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. Well, first that, that I love that question. And John Dorhauer is a dear friend and I can imagine him asking a wise question like that. Because one of the things that makes us realize is that if the universe is somewhere around 14 billion years or a little less old, that for 99.999% of it, there were no human beings here. Right. <laughs> and uh, I don't think God was like, you know, tapping his watch and, yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know, thinking, gosh, this is so boring, you know? So, uh, so I think, uh, and, and I'm speaking somewhat humorously here, but I can imagine, you know, I can imagine God saying, Oh my goodness. Uh, those humans are gone. It's, it's a loss, but man, at least they don't have to put up with all those religions trying to tell people <laughs> what I'm like, you know? So, um, uh, but yeah. I, I think this, this is exactly why we need to spend more time in creation because we have retold the story, our story and our religions as if we're the center as, as if it's all about us. And, and we're, we've shown up very late on the stage <laughs> and, uh, and, and we get to be part of it, which is wonderful, but it's not all about us. So, uh, and that's, and that's a wonderful thing. I think, I think life goes a lot better for us as individuals and as a species, if we stop thinking it's all about us. And I feel like that was kind of part of the message as well that Jesus came to bring, to turn upside down, you yeah. know, and uh, because Jesus pointed to, to something bigger, like to, to God and to your neighbor, you know, yes. and just not your own self. And the farther we get away from the first Easter, the more we forget that it's not about us. Yeah. I, I have a friend named Samir Silmanovich who wrote a book called it's really all about God. And one of the things I remember when I read this, it just 
sort of was a shocking statement. He said, um, Jesus came to tell us there's something bigger than God. And people think, what could be bigger than God? Mm-hmm. And he said, the kingdom of God. Jesus' message wasn't just about God. It was to say that mm-hmm. God is the kind of God who is filled with relationships and getting back to this theme of the earth. Then suddenly a little couple little lines from the Sermon on the Mount rise in importance where Jesus says, you know, a, a sparrow doesn't fall to the ground without God caring. And, and the, the flowers bloom for a day and then they're gone. But ev- everything, all of creation is precious to the creator. And um, so it's this mm-hmm. sense, yeah, there's the way God is, it, uh, God is creative and relational. And we're part of the network of relationships. We matter, we're important, but it's not all about us. It's, it's this beautiful, you even see it in the, in the book of Genesis in how there are the six days of creation. And um, by the way, in, in those six days, light is good and darkness is good. Um, land is good and the oceans are good. Uh, uh, and reptiles are good and mammals are good and birds are good. It's all good. Um, and then, and, and human beings come along and they're good, just like everything else. And then comes the seventh day when everything is living in harmony. And that's when God says, Hey, this is very good. So this idea of us being part of something bigger, that's not all about us. Uh, but we we get to be part of it. That's, that's very, very good. And that's, I think what meant, what many of us, whether we stay Christian or do something else, we're trying to get a place, get to a place where we see human beings reconnected with the bigger, the larger reality. How do we do that? How do we talk to people that know that have resistance to it because of how they were brought up or what their church says or something like that? You know, uh, my, my friend and colleague, Richard Rohr often says that, the best critique of the bad is the practice of the better. And I think probably the thing that will help more than anything else is for us to look for other people who are stumbling their way inch by inch and step by step into this different way of, of relating to the earth and to each other and to themselves and and to the Holy love that holds all of this together. And, uh, and so I think we, we, learn from people who are a few steps ahead of us. And then we realize that maybe we're setting an example for other people who are a few steps behind us. And, uh, and I, I think that's probably the best we can do because what tends to happen is if we tell, if we tell people the way they're doing it is wrong, then we get into a battle of egos where uh, then they want to defend themselves and tell us that the way we're doing it is wrong. Uh, so I think the modeling of a better alternative is, is what we need most of all. And, and I think there's an individual dimension of that. And that's, I, I'm, I don't want to put words in both of your mouths, but I'm going to guess that's why a lot of people come for spiritual direction. It's because they're looking for some different way of living and mm-hmm. something in them is calling out. And they're looking for someone who, when they open up about that, they won't be criticized and judged, as we said before, but someone will help mm-hmm. listen out of them uh, uh, something that's already there and so that they can start to live that way. Uh, and, and so we need it as individuals. And then I think we'll even be at a better place when there are more and more communities that are learning to live out uh, new ways of being human too. 
and that's always a struggle, but that's the struggle that we're in, I think. Yeah. I listened to um, Father Rohr do a, a teaching. It was a recorded teaching he did years ago called The Path of Descent, um, yes. you know, descending downwards. Of, and, and something he said, um, he, I, I thought the whole thing was great, but one statement really I still process and think about. And he said how, um, you know, in, in the West we think about um, humanity and, and the world in, in terms of forward progress and constant linear improvement, you know, things are constantly getting better, or at least we hope they are, we think they are. And so eventually, you know, we'll have this utopia. He said, that's, you know, that is just the Western idea. That's not how uh, the world works. And, and just in the fact that, you know, that we see Jesus die a gruesome death on the cross shows us that even on the last day, there will be suffering and there will be hurt. Um, but out of that comes new life. And that's the, you know, the pattern of death and resurrection. One of, one of my theological heroes was a scholar in the early years of the, of the Christian communities uh, named Gregory of Nyssa. Mm -hmm. And Gregory would get in trouble with some of his fellow scholars because he didn't like their definition of perfection. Um, and Gregory said, perfection is infinite progression, <laughs> which is a way of saying we're net, there's no arrival because yeah. the, the horizons are limitless. And, uh, and I think that is, I, I, I sense that he's right. That sounds true to me. That rings true to me. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, it's this amazing invitation then that keeps us always humble even as we're seeking to learn and grow and keep moving forward. Cause there's always way more territory ahead of us that we don't know than there is what we already know behind us. Yeah. Infinite progression. I like that. And that, that goes right along with what uh, Ilya Delio talks about and, and based on the work of Teilhard de Chardin and, and just, you know, that this, this constant evolving and, and, and growing and, and, uh, it's it's just a constant evolution. Things are always changing, and um, so, and that, as you say in in your your book here, should uh, have a bearing on on our image of God. It should grow and evolve as well, because everything else grows and evolves. Yes, yes. Uh, I I I quoted uh, Tillard in one of my recent books at the very last paragraph. He says something like, there is something afoot in the universe and it looks like birth. Mm. Um, and, mm. and the sense that there, that yes, there's death. And then the death leads to new birth. There are, are mass extinction events when asteroids hit the earth and it looks like the earth is done for. And then there's a flowering of new possibilities and creativity that never could have been imagined before. Mm -hmm. And you don't, you never want to make light of the, the loss and, and, and the pain, but you also can't stop there. And you have to say, this is where death and resurrection, I think, takes on new meaning that uh, one, one way to think of it, uh, I, uh, I, I'm a, one of my hobbies is fly fishing. I love fly fishing, partly because trout live in such beautiful places. And uh, some years ago, I was in Yellowstone after there'd been a massive destructive fire in Yellowstone. And I'll never forget walking up a hillside, all charred black, uh, 
you know, just the ash from all the trees that had burned. But I looked at my, down at my feet and there were green uh, shoots from seeds coming up and white and blue flowers blooming. And what had been a smoking inferno a couple of months earlier was already having this, uh, this explosion of life. And, and someone explained to me that uh, part of what a forest fire does, it looks like pure destruction. But when you think of those tall, tall trees, they're like silos storing resources, right? Mm-hmm. They're, like, they're like banks storing nutrients. And the nutrients are all belonging to a few big, big, big trees. When the tree comes down, all of those nutrients become available once again to the grass and the flowers. Mm-hmm. And, and there's this, this redistribution of nutrients and new, new possibilities emerge. And, and I think that's important for us to remember because we very likely, if not certainly, live at a time when we're going to see a lot of things shaking and we're going to see a lot of things falling. And it would be, I, I think about the people in Ukraine right now and to just see the devastation mm-hmm. of buildings and cities and, and, and lives lost and families uh, traumatized. But, uh, and, and you don't minimize the horror of that for a second. But if you let that have the last word, you don't, you know, you shut off the possibility that, yes, a hundred years from now, Ukraine could be uh, a, a shining example of, uh, of, of a more healthy uh, community, not to minimize the awfulness of what's happening now, but just to right. realize that this is how life works. It keeps yeah. bursting through. Right. Yeah. It's beautiful. My sister says that's been the the cycle through the world, whenever there's a horrible devastation, it takes about two generations, like two generations later, it's a, they have taken the lessons from that devastation, from that horror and made a different world for themselves. And it's about two generations. And that's kind of the, the cycle of, of humanity. Boy, I hope that's true, Maggie. And then it raises the question, what should we all be paying attention to now? Because there are so many people who are doubling down in resistance to learning anything new. They just want to go back. Mm -hmm. Their favorite word is again, and and they're really governed by nostalgia. (laughs) Um, And and instead it would mean Mm -hmm. to say, what are the lessons we can learn from our past? Our past is is precious, but it's not something to return to. Mm -hmm. It's something to learn from so that we can make an even better future. And, 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 you know, in, in Christian language, maybe we'd say to join the creative spirit, the spirit of the creator in creating mm. a, a better future together. Brian, we, we asked all of our guests this one question to kind of close it out. And then that question is, who or what is God to you now? I, I feel two images. One is a voice beckoning me to continuing growth and beckoning me to moving forward. Uh, And then the other is a witness or a listening ear in whose presence I live my life. Uh, And instead of judgment and uh, condemnation, this is a gracious listening ear, a gracious witness who, uh, who extends just uh, who, who, who is happy that I'm here. And, uh, and has for me the same, uh, 
enjoyment that I feel with my children and my grandchildren and my friend and my friends to say uh, you, you don't have to be perfect you you belong here and uh, and yeah let's let's enjoy this.